Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Did Chelsea knock Hodgson off the Crystal Palace throne last night? Gallagher perhaps shattering the wall of glass as it's another defeat for the lowly Eagles. Fan unrest begins to boil over at Selhurst Park. So, what happens next? We'll tackle more Crystal Palace troubles on today's FSD, an award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall, and joined as ever by Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Happy Pancake Day, fellas. Yep, happy Pancake Day. I'm not actually not a big pancake fan, me, you know. Foodie Joel over there is going to have some sort Hang of on, wait, pancake. Hang on, wait, 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 wait. Hang on a second. I thought something as wartime ration as a pancake made of <laughs> flour, eggs and milk would be right up your street. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think my wife's got some pancake mix in, actually, because she's going to... I think she's bought some of the American-style, um, like, breakfast pancakes. Are they different to normal pancakes, apparently? That does not count. That does not count. Well, we've never, both of us have never had a breakfast pancake that the Americans eat, so... We're going to try them, I think, tomorrow or till later today. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. But I'm not a big, not a big pancake lover, me. They are good. I went to Vegas a few years back and had my first experience in Denny's, Joel, oh, and had God. some what a place. American pancakes there. Wow, I had some good times in there. Sunny side up eggs, turkey bacon, pancakes with the golden syrup just slathering off the sides. To be honest, though, I'm more of a crepe fan. I like the thinner ones where you can, like, you know, pile in a bit of Nutella or... That's more like what we would call a pancake here, isn't it? Like a crepe. Yeah, exactly. But when you ask for it abroad, you get the thickest cake-like consistency. (laughs) I remember when I was in a country, I asked for a pancake expecting one of the thin ones. 
and I cut into it and it came out like about three inches thick like a cake. I didn't know what to do with it. It was literally like a cornbread or something. But yeah, for me, pancake day is any day of the year. Whenever whenever I feel like it, get a good toss going. <laughs> Steady on you. I know it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, but <laughs> you don't have to tell us what you'll be doing. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> I've got to hang around with these two tosses first of all. <laughs> Well, it is Pancake Day, it is Valentine's Day tomorrow, and that means one thing, lads. I'm sorry, but it hurts too much to listen to that now. We're out. Manchester United are out. Manchester City aren't though and they resume their Champions League campaign this evening against FC Copenhagen. The Champions League's back, Marley. You excited? Well, there's no better pair of people to talk to the Champions League about <laughs> than two people whose teams finished bottom of their group um, in very different circumstances. One of us had a decent group that we got knocked out of. One of them just stung the place out with Andre Onana, costing them, uh, what was it, 15 goals conceded in the group stage or something like that, Joel? Marley, we're, bo- we're both out of the competition. That's the only thing that Your matters. reputation's in tatters. You took yourself backwards with your £50 million Ghost goalkeeper. Hey, he's been good in the last few games. You have to give it to him. He's been very good. No, he was good in the last game against Villa. I'm not sure about the last few, but the last game against Villa, we'll give him that. He was very impressive. I did I did find it absolutely hilarious that all this furore about him going to AFCON and he goes to AFCON of like at the very last minute, plays one game and gets benched. He got benched <laughs> for his cousin as well, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's really That's funny. His cousin. That's incredible. Oh, someone's trying to break into your car, Marley. It's Onana. <laughs> Onana's heard him. <laughs> Welcome to my life, lads. You two saying it's painful to listen to the Champions League music. Well, at least you do get to listen to it because I don't think I'll ever get the chance to listen to it for my own team. That being said, the English clubs have halved from the group stages to the knockouts. Manchester United and Newcastle United are out. Arsenal and Manchester City are both through. City have got a favourable draw, FC Copenhagen, Joel. Do you fancy them to retain their Champions League crown? I know we're still in the early stages of the knockouts. Yeah, I think with this fixture, I mean, I think everyone's going to write off Copenhagen straight away, aren't they? But I don't think you can override them too much purely because I think it was a shock that they even got out of the group. Obviously, buying with the outlying winners, but to get ahead of Manchester United and Galatasaray, I think it was just massive overachievement from them. They've, they've got a good crop of young players coming through, especially uh, Ronnie or Rooney, however you pronounce it, the one who basically put us out of the competition, which is Rooney Bargy. Yep. He's been linked with moves to the Premier League, by the way, Joel. Yeah, he's he's a massive, massive talent. But I think with Manchester City, honestly, I don't know about you, but it kind of feels like, well, this, this round of 16 first and foremost in the Champions League is probably one of the dullest in terms of fixtures I've seen in years. It just feels like every single team who finished first are almost absolutely favourites to go through to the next round. There's no real like standout fixture. Uh, but I think with City, again, they're reigning champions. They should be thinking going into this competition, we're going to go and win it again. And I wouldn't put it past them to get to at least at least the minimum semi-finals. Do you know what? That's a good point that Joel makes there about these last 16 ties. I'll just read them out. We obviously know about Copenhagen against Manchester City. A week tomorrow, it's Porto against Arsenal. But some of the others, Leipzig, Real Madrid, Lazio, Bayern, PSG, Real Sociedad, 
PSV Eindhoven against Dortmund, Inter against Atletico and Napoli against Barcelona. Maybe we've just been spoiled with the amount of elite football we've seen over the years, Marley, but this doesn't feel as exciting as maybe it once was. I know it's the last 16, but it doesn't feel like there are any real tasty ties there. But I guess that kind of means that in the semi-finals and the quarterfinals, we might get some more interesting games. Yeah, that was uh, the point I was going to make. Like, I'm not not bothered that the last 16 is not quite mouthwatering. You haven't got Real Madrid against Man City, or example, or for example, because that means you're going to get them ties when it really, really matters. When it comes to the quarters and the semis, they're going to be genuinely like brilliant games. You're going to get PSG against Bayern. You're going to get Real. Madrid. You might get Real Madrid, Barcelona, or whatever. Um, a Barcelona, really? Yes, against Napoli. Napoli. So I keep because they've been so poor and they were in the Europa League. I thought they were. I thought they'd slipped out, but no. Um, you know, you're going to get Man City against um, Real Madrid or something like that. So, you know, you've got to get some proper good ties. This is this is all right for now. I'm not bothered about watching City against Copenhagen. I know everyone's expecting City to win and and you know breeze through the competition, but it does mean later on you're going to get it when it really matters. You're going to get Harry Kane trying to finally win himself a trophy maybe for Bayern by having to beat Man City in the quarters or the semis whatever, whenever they're drawn together. So I don't really buy into this criticism of oh, you know, there's no real mouth-watering ties. It's just the last 16. You saw, This is where the deadwood gets stripped away. Copenhagen, you expect to get blown away by Man City. Yes, they've done well and they've done well enough to set themselves up as a club for the next three years, five years in terms of budget. So that's that's absolutely fine. But I think we're probably, um, the narrative has probably slipped in that, oh my God, it's not as good as it usually is, is probably because um, of Man City's dominance over the last few years. I think when you look at how they've been, you kind of expect them to get through um, and you expect Arsenal to get through and you expect Bayern and and what have you. Um, And you kind of, you're not as bothered about these ones because you just expect the big teams to go through. that's just how it is. Sometimes you get draws like that in football. I'm I'm not reacting too badly to it. I'm not clamouring to watch City against Copenhagen tonight, but you know, I will be clamouring to watch Man City play PSG or Atletico Madrid in the next round because that'll be a genuinely like good game. That's when you want the competition to heat up. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that maybe it's just one of those things where because we've had a big gap between the last round of European football and now. Maybe we are keen to get into some of the bigger games, but we do have to stay patient and remember that it is only the last 16. Joel thinks that Manchester City will retain their Champions League title. Do you think they'll do it again this season, Marley? Uh, It's hard to back against them. Um, I think for every year for the last four or five years, I've said City are going to win the Champions League because I can't see them not winning it. I think they should have won it in uh, 2019 when Spurs beat them. Um, they should have won it in 2021 when Chelsea beat them. They did win it last year and and batted everyone on the way and looked pretty easy. I think when they, you know, they tore Real Madrid apart in them uh, in that game against uh, at the Etihad when it was four 0 was it? Um, so I think Real Madrid are closest to them and the Bellingham factor evens it up slightly. Yeah, because that was basically the final, wasn't it, last year? In my opinion, I know it was the semi-finals, but. Into Milan, I mean, and no disrespect to the Italian side, but it felt like once Manchester City had broken that spell almost, beating Real Madrid, that was it then, kind of, the shackles were off. Yeah, um, you probably, 
that's actually a good thing thing about what we're talking about before you know last year we had these mouth-watering ties all through in the last 32 uh sorry the last 16 then the quarters then the semis and then we got to the final which we expected to be one-sided you know inter put up quite a good fight but everyone expected man city to win nice and easy and uh and ultimately they did but we got like i'd rather see see what we're having now i'd rather see one strong team come through an easier side of the of the draw whereas when you get sort of big ties over and over again ultimately only one team gets to the final one strong team gets to the final and the, then the massive favorite against the weaker team so last last year we had you know AC Milan against Inter Milan which at one point in history was as good as it got football you know mid 2000s it was as good as it got but now it was who's going to lose to Man City or Real Madrid in the final and it was just like a procession really and then City won the final and finally achieved their destiny but I think I wouldn't back against them I know it's hard to to recreate uh, sorry to retain the um, Champions League but I can't can't see past them I can't see a team that go they'll definitely beat them I think Bayern would have a chance but they're making an absolute pig's ear of the the Bundesliga at the minute um and then you've got Real Madrid and like I said the the Bellingham factor how much does this kind of newish Real Madrid with Camavinga and Chuameni becoming big parts of the team and Bellingham scoring the goals are they good enough to to hold a flame to to Man City when it matters I like hopefully we'll see that in the final well, you mentioned Bayern Munich there. We're going to talk about them next on Football Social Daily. Well, we're not going to talk about them. We're going to talk about their centre forward, Harry Kane, coming up next on Football Social Daily. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. And in the summer, we lost from the Premier League, one of the division's all-time greatest goal scorers. He was hot on the heels of Alan Shearer, and many people were wondering whether Harry Kane would eventually go on to break that record. But he swapped Tottenham after 200-plus Premier League goals 
for Bayern Munich in the hope that he would go on to win major silverware. Now, Bayern Munich have won the Bundesliga, what, the last nine or 10 years in a row? 11 years in a row. Thanks, Joel. And yet this season, it looks like they might not do it. The Harry Kane hoodoo might be set to continue. That being said, Joel, it's probably the Champions League that he's eyeing up, no? Yeah, I think ultimately over his buying career, when he looks back and when the buying board look back and when the buying fans look back, it'll be judged on did he get us a Champions League? Because Lewandowski did it. That was probably the main reason why he was brought in. And then when you look at when Lewandowski's gone to Barcelona again, they're judged on the exact same thing. It's like the obsession. I always remember when Mourinho said that Barcelona's obsession is winning the Champions League, and it is that. And I think with Bayern, the fact because they've won it 11 years in a row, it's not a case of him retaining their title because that's almost a formality every year apart from this season because they've now got a credible contender. But the Champions League, obviously Harry Kane's pretty much going to be judged on retaining or bringing back a Champions League to Bayern. And it is quite crazy how the Spurs in him just seems to follow him round at the moment. Because when he went to Bayern, everyone was thinking, okay, finally, he's going to have a title under his belt at the end of the season. And he can finally say, I've won a major trophy in my career. Because we all saw that really strong quote that he made, I think when he's around 28, when he said, if I've not won a major trophy by 30, I'm going to be massively disappointed. And imagine telling him at 28, you're going to go to Bayern Munich at 31 and you're still not going to have won anything of course it'll be a formality within the next well within the course of his contract he will win something it just shows sometimes it's not always guaranteed but you would think after 11 in a row you would have you know it in the bag but again like I said I don't think anyone saw coming Alonso's uh, rise in, in Leverkusen and just how well that team is playing and to be fair they were closing the gap by Munich the gap's currently five points but they lost 3-0 to Bayer Leverkusen on Saturday had Bayern Munich won that the gap would be just two points so yeah yeah I, I actually watched the first game that they played at the Allianz when Leverkusen came back from two goals down I think it was and I was so impressed with them but again, I think I wouldn't rule out Bayern because last season they won it on the final day to Dortmund. Uh, and of course, in the Champions League, absolutely anything can happen. But I think Thomas Tuchel really needs to improve the the feel-good factor around the club because Bayern almost feels like Barcelona in the kind of hierarchical where because there's so many people deeply entrenched within Bayern who run the club, it almost feels like a little bit of politics when it comes to there, where they can overthrow people quite quickly and there's a little bit of tension in the board. And I wouldn't even be surprised to see Thomas Tuchel midway through the season or at the end of the season end up getting sacked if he ends up not making it past the quarterfinals or if he loses the title to uh, to Leverkusen. And then, you know, what happens then? Harry Kane's suddenly looking at this buying side thinking... Was this the Bayern Munich that I thought I was coming to? This really well-run, well-oiled German machine? Because if Alonso stays there next season at Leverkusen, who knows? He could create a little bit of a dynasty like what Klopp did with Dortmund 2011 and 2012. It, it could happen, potentially. I don't know if he'll stay on past this summer, but you never know. So, you know what? I'm kind of glad that Bayern have got this challenge now in, in Germany because it's been a long time coming this. It's good for German football, I think. Despite the fact they're second in the Bundesliga and might not win the title, Mali, I don't think anyone would really want to face them in the Champions League. When the draw comes up, they will still be one of those clubs that teams will be keen to avoid. Yeah, for definite. Um, you would rather not play them if you can avoid it. Um, so, yeah, they're always... They're, it's one of them. They've got the history, haven't they? Like, if you look at Leverkusen... If, if Leverkusen were in this Champions League, you would probably say 
you would still rather play Leverkusen, even though Leverkusen are five points ahead in the league. Uh, they, they've never won the Champions League. They've been to the final in that famous Hamden Park final of um, 2005, was it, when Zidane scored that belt in volley. However, they haven't got the history of Bayern. Bayern are always there or thereabouts. Bayern can have a crap season and, and still get to the quarters of the semis of the Champions League quite easily. Um, you know, they got to the final in 2020, did they? Did they even have a striker that year? Was Lewandowski still there? Was that the summer he, he left? Yeah, that was his final season. 2021, when there was no crowd as well. One of the dullest yeah. Champions League atmospheres. Yeah, it's seen. like they've been on a little dip since then, but you know they're still winning leagues and stuff without a proper striker. You know, they won two leagues in a row after losing Lewandowski with, you know, Chupo Motings up front, a guy who was bang average at Stoke City for, for a while, but... You know that now they've signed Harry Kane. That's that was meant to be the the final piece of the puzzle. And bizarrely, this Spurs curse was uh, seems to have followed him because he, they even lost the Super Cup on his debut to Leipzig. Leipzig batted them. I think it was three nil on like the, on Harry Kane's debut. I think he signed on the Friday and he played on the Saturday or something like that. Um, and they got hammered in that game. And it, everyone was like, "Why well, Harry Kane's gone and they're still not winning trophies?" Spurs effect, blah blah blah. And then what are we seven months down the line? And they're five points behind, even though he scored an absolute boatload of goals. They're shipping them at the other end. And don't forget, they brought in Eric Dyer as well. So that's double Spurs effect. <laughs> so I was just going to say, like, so to double down on the whole, you know, how how can they not win the league? Uh, let's sign Eric Dyer. Well, that's, what, what's that going to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? They even tried to sign Kieran Trippier in January. So he's basically making Spurs 2.0. Um, and instilling this Spursy confidence in the least Spursy team you could ever think of, which is buying who win when it matters. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's quite a good point, really, isn't it? Harry Kane's kind of broken away from Spurs to destroy that Spursy stigma and that tag of a man who scores a bucket load of goals but never wins any trophies. Yeah. And he goes to a massive club and Thomas Tuchel's like, I'm bringing in all your old mates to help you out. And he must be like, oh God, please. <laughs> you know, you, you know what would be really poetic is if he wins the Euros with England in Germany this summer. <laughs> Just, and then no, never wins anything again. He'd be like, you know what, I'll take that. It's a good point. Fair. I didn't think about that actually. The significance of Harry Kane playing up front for England in Germany and the pressure that that might put on him and how the home crowds might react to him. Very interesting point, but we're not going to talk about Harry Kane anymore because he's no longer a Premier League player. And speaking of being no longer, how much longer does Roy Hodgson have in the Selhurst Park hot seat? Crystal Palace beaten again last night. The fans disgruntled again last night. We'll discuss it next on FSD. Final part of today's Football Social Daily. This is an award-winning Premier League podcast and I am aware that we've spent the first part of the show not really talking too much about the Premier League, but there was a game last night in the competition. It was at Selhurst Park, a place which is feeling a little bit hostile at the moment because the Crystal Palace fans are not happy with how their side are performing. They're particularly unhappy with the club's hierarchy. Steve Parrish has come under a fair bit of criticism from the Palace fans in recent times. So has Roy Hodgson, the 70-plus-year-old, in the dugout for one final hurrah this season. You can't imagine he'll last much longer because despite the fact they went 1-0 up, Joel, Crystal Palace ended up on the wrong side of a defeat yet again. And the frustration for them, it was one of their former players, Conor Gallagher, getting the winning goal. Yeah, we were just discussing 
beforehand podcast just how well they started as well with Jefferson Lerma's absolute screamer which I think easily gets the goal of the month award already it was absolutely incredible goal and then it was just downhill from there to be honest and it's just almost poetic how it was Conor Gallagher the guy who was so good for Palace a couple of years ago earned himself England call-ups and these huge price tags were being touted around and then he went to Chelsea and then struggled initially I think it's, well, for Conor Gallagher personally, I think it's, it's almost the game that he needed because I know he struggled a little bit in the last few months uh, at Chelsea. I mean, who has not struggled at Chelsea in the last few months? But I think it was a massive game for him this. You could tell by just the relief on his face. But watching some of the highlights of the game, it seemed like Chelsea were really deadly in the transition where you had Cole Palmer and Kunku Sterling and then Conor Gallagher through the middle. They really were piercing through that Crystal Palace defence every single time in the latter stages of the game. And I'm wondering if Pochettino maybe needs to set up his side a little bit more like that because when when they first bought Cole Palmer and he started putting in Conor Gallagher just next to him, I was thinking they don't really have much pace in attack. They don't have that kind of cutting edge. But actually, in terms of their acceleration and their intelligence on the ball, I think it actually works really well, especially because Cole Palmer is such an intelligent player as well. Got two assists yesterday. And I think he can be really the cutting edge in that side. So I'm starting to see little signs of potential in the team. But again, how many times have we come in this podcast and said, great win for Chelsea. And then the next week they'll go and lose to Bournemouth away or lose at Stamford Bridge. How frustrating must that be for the Chelsea fans? to have a performance like Palace, but then turn in an absolute stinker the next week. That's been the, it's the consistency has been the problem, hasn't it? Where they'll get, they'll play so well. And then suddenly the next week is all through the window. Pochettino gets asked questions about his future. It's just a cycle, a deadly cycle that's going on at Chelsea. The best thing they can do now is just build on the win, get some momentum going. And then I think we'll start to see that squad flourish because obviously when you got confidence and wins under your belt, I think players are a little bit more comfortable on the ball. They want the ball rather than they don't want the ball. It's just a natural kind of mindset shift, isn't it? So good win. But again, I would temper expectations if I was a Chelsea fan because next week you might get a completely different kettle of fish. Let's not talk about Chelsea because we've done a lot of that over the last few weeks and even months, Marley, when it comes to Pochettino and his tenure so far at Stamford Bridge. Let's talk about Crystal Palace. Once again, banners in the crowd brandished by the Palace fans. Weak club culture and direction, said one. Supporters ignored and taken for granted, said another. Weak transfer policy and youth scapegoated and soulless light shows, TIFOs banned, banners removed for LED advertising was another. The Palace fans came armed last night with some messages for their owners and they're not happy. They're not happy with just being a run-of-the-mill, butt-of-the-joke, 13th place, 14th place football club in the Premier League every season. And I can understand that. Yeah, I get it. At some point you have to you have to have a go. And it's you know, we're just we're kind of repeating ourselves a little bit of, of the the palace cycle of finish thirteenth, win as many as you know, well, lose a couple more than you win type of thing. So we'll end up finishing a season with like fifteen defeats, twelve wins and you know, eleven draws or whatever it is and Nine draws or whatever that adds up to 30, 38. Um, if, I don't know. They, they they do need to... They, they're a club that can easily put a plan in place and build towards something. They're no different from... Like, they're probably not going to like this because of the, the rivalry. But Brighton, 
Brighton were 17th in the Premier League pretty much every year. They fight relegation and then just about survive it. And a good solid plan has got Brighton into Europe within five years. A couple of good managers, obviously a lot of good signings, but financially very similar to Crystal Palace. And that's where the frustration comes from, I think. Like the Palace fans look at Brighton and go, why why the f- can't we do that? Like, why can't we get Graham Potter and Deserby and go from 13th, which is higher than Brighton ever were, to 6th and to 5th and scrapping big lads, like big boys every week and playing them off the park? As you say, Brighton have been a Premier League team for, what, four or five years now? And the first three, they were hovering around the relegation zone under Chris Hewton, struggling to stay up. Graham Potter took some time to get his feet under the table, but they progressed And there were stages of that development that you could clearly see. The whole point when you come up to the Premier League as a new club, which Crystal Palace were many years ago now, is you establish. That would be the same for Luton. It's been the same for Brentford. Now, that might take two or three seasons. But once you've established yourself, then you have to look ahead to the next objective. Palace don't ever seem to have done that. Maybe some might say this was evidence of that by appointing Frank de Boer and he got off to a dreadful start. They panicked and sacked him, reverted to type, and they've never really stepped onto that next stepping stone since. Why on earth have they not kicked on? Yeah, 10, 10 years have been in the Premier League, I think, came up through the playoffs in 2013, didn't they? So at some point in that in that uh, decade-long spell, you have, to, you have to have a proper go. Um, I don't think they did at any point. And, and Steve Parrish is the embodiment of, of what they... Um, what the philosophy is like when you set an example of like going for Vieira and then it gets a bit gets a bit itchy and it gets a bit ooh this, this isn't quite great oh right we'll ring Roy Hodgson and we'll go back to Roy it just sets a precedent of we are never going to fully commit to a plan because Roy Hodgson is is a stopgap he is someone you go back to if you're, if you're in a panic like Chelsea when they sacked the manager and went back to Gus Hiddink he is Crystal Palace's version of Gus Hiddink. Like, we'll just go back to Roy. He'll, he'll say yes. And he'll stabilise us because he's a nice, you know, he's, he's a pretty safe manager. Um, and after we've tried, we've tried this, uh, you know, spicy version of a, a new forward-thinking manager like Patrick Vieira, and it doesn't quite work as quick as you might have hoped, we'll go back to Roy. And it's like, right, well, you just, you've took one step forward and then one step back again because you just... You are where you are, but you look at you look at Palace's team and like you you see players that have been there for years and years that are still getting games like Jeffrey Schlupp and like Joel Ward and Will Hughes. They're not going to get you anywhere. They're not they're not going to take you forward. You've can you not think outside the box? You've signed you can you've proved you can do it by signing Eze, Elise, and Gehi all from the Championship. You're, you're trying to do it again with Adam Wharton. So clearly there's some sort of plan there, but. The plan is, oh, like they'll they'll carry us for a bit. They'll carry us to thirteenth, and if they can stay fit all season, maybe they carry us to tenth. And it's like, well, that's not enough because they're going to get you to tenth and go. It's a lot of crap. I I can play top six. I can play Champions League. I'm only twenty three, twenty four, whatever. So I'm going to move on. Whereas Crystal Palace are never going to move on. And do you know what? I've always said this on this podcast. The game is about glory. And if someone asked me whether I would swap places with a Crystal Palace fan over the last 10 years? My answer would be no. Despite the fact it's been 10 years of Premier League football, the answer would be no. And maybe just to cement that point, Joel, 
I'm looking at the 2013-14 Premier League table. So 10 seasons ago, Crystal Palace's first campaign back in the top flight. They finished 11th. I think that's as high as they finished in the nine years since then. And some of the clubs around in the Premier League at the time, Southampton, Stoke, Swansea, Sunderland, Hull, West Brom, Norwich, Cardiff and Fulham have been up and down. So you're looking at teams there, a good six or seven of them that Crystal Palace have outlasted, yet they've never improved or got any better. Yeah, just looking back over Palace's time in those last 10 years, I think the best period was probably under Alan Pardew when they got to the FA Cup final and they were 10 minutes away from winning it against Manchester United. And we saw Alan Pardew do the little shuffle to the camera thinking they'd already won it. That was his first mistake. And after that, there's just been no real progress. They've had little, obviously a Frank de Boer, which was one of the worst managers. I think he is statistically the worst manager we've ever seen in the Premier League. I just want to jump in there because it's reminded me of something. A late get in the sea. I know we're 24 hours late, but you mentioned Alan Pardew's shuffle. What was Douglas Louise doing, by the way, for Aston Villa when he scored the equaliser? That little shimmy he that just, he was doing to the crowd. What is he it doing? carnival time, innit? Carnival time in Brazil. That's what he said oh, on Twitter. Stupid. Celebration police are out. Joel, oh. well, here he is. You sound like me. Uh, I hate it when people dance in celebrations. Just make sure you time it right. Some, sometimes, though, when players do that, you just know that a goal's coming after it. You just know something's going to correct it. Is Doing that seems a little bit more offensive than, you know, like the... Yeah, do a little bit, bit of the samba, the like Ronaldinho Carno in the corner. Carno and Montari in the FA Cup <laughs> final, giving it a bit of that. No one can see this on the camera, but Niall is really <laughs> shifting those shoulders. Um, Niall's getting his Valentine's moves out of there. Yeah, the, po- the poles of the earth are shifting as well whilst I'm doing that. It's so f***ing clunky. <laughs> Get the, oil, get the oil on the joints. <laughs> um, what are we talking about? Sorry, you were going on about, about Palace before I rudely cut you off. Yeah, so in the last 10 years, the highlight has been the FA Cup final, which was an amazing period for Palace. I mean, they were they were a good side back then. And I think we've all discussed it. And I think the, the main conclusions we're getting from it is that Parrish is almost suffering from Frank de Boer syndrome, where he doesn't want to risk again. He's happy with consistently remaining in the Premier League, which you know what, I understand because he's a businessman as well and he wants to earn money from it and staying in those revenue streams is great for the for the club. But come on, now is the time to twist. And you know what, because Alise and Eze might go in the summer, which could be over 100 million, they need to understand who's going to be the person to champion the next era of Palace because they might not see that kind of money come in to the club again. It's a rare, rare occasion. I mean, Wilfred Zaha, they probably missed out on about a 60 million fee for him because he, he left on a free agent. So if they're going to capitalise, they need a plan in place rather than just, let's go for Roy Hodgson. The best thing for Palace next season is for Roy Hodgson to say, I'm 100% retiring because then there's no going back for Parrish then. He has to go forward. Otherwise... <laughs> Pretty sure he said that before and they just won't let him. They just keep ringing him. <laughs> he sent the cartel to Roy Hodgson's uh, family home. <laughs> he was like, you need to come out of retirement. Uh, so the best thing for them is just honestly they need to they need to cut the cord and they need to have a plan in place and I'm sure they're thinking about it now. But who do they go for? That's the million dollar question. Can I just say as well, right? Frank De Boer gets a lot of stick for losing seven games. I think all all seven of his games. It must be remembered that he took over from Sam Allardyce, so he t- he had a Sam Allardyce team and was trying to instill a new philosophy of typical Dutch passing football, pass and move, total football style. We're going to keep possession 
And so he's trying to take a, a team that typically has 30 to 35, maybe 40% possession. And he's trying to take them into and turn them into a team that has 55 to 65% possession. That is as hard a job as you could ever imagine in football. But as is the way with Crystal Palace, panic, sacked him, seven games. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. And they went, they run, went running to, I think, I think Roy Hodgson. But to be fair to Palace and to be fair to Prophet Jose Mourinho. Oh, what a quote he did on Fran de Ver. It's harsh oh. though. It's true, but it's harsh. It is harsh, but since being sacked by Crystal Palace, he was sacked by Atalanta, sacked by the Dutch national team, and now been sacked by a Middle Eastern club called Al Jazeera, which he lasted less than a year. Isn't that a TV channel, isn't it? Al Jazeera. <laughs> Al Jazeera. It's also a UAE Pro League club. Wow. <laughs> and he couldn't even do it there. Well, Jose Mourinho, I think he is a disciple. I think we just got to put Meanwhile, it Meanwhile, Mourinho has been sacked by Spurs, sacked by Man United, sacked the by best managers Roma. <laughs> Everyone gets sacked, Jose. Jesus. Yeah, I know, but not after seven games, zero goals, zero points, <laughs> zero <Brilliant>. wins. <laughs> to be fair, didn't, wasn't that in retaliation for De Boer criticising him? Like, I, I think it was a response. You can't yeah. criticise somebody if you've if you've lost all seven games. Like, not you, A serial right, winner like that. glass house it's, ever. It's, yeah, it's a glass house. It's You know, you're throwing boulders from your greenhouse. You're not going to... Uh, you're not going to win that battle. That was like the time when John Carver said that he was the best coach in the Premier League when he was at Newcastle. It was, oh, it was taken out of context, that. But yeah, oh, leave it. No, out, but mate. yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't say it because the written press will write it down, <laughs> and it looks terrible on it's face. Terrible. All right. Well, Crystal Palace still have Roy Hodgson as their manager. Will he even make the next game? Who knows? Because you'd imagine there'll be more banners in either the home or away end. Whoever Crystal Palace have got next, the fans are restless and they'll be continuing to make their voices heard no doubt about that and you can continue to listen to this podcast as well because we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of football social daily so hit subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform to make sure you don't miss it you can also keep in touch with us on social media links are in the description and there's a link to the free telegram group as well if you want to join the group chat go and click the link there but that's it from joel marley and i have a good pancake day we'll see you tomorrow on valentine's day Speak to you then. Football Social Daily is a VoiceWork Sport production for the Sport Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.